My name is Alex Rosa, and I'm our Family Life Pastor. And can we just give a round of applause to the families here? What a, what a good service that you chose to come to today. We, we prayed for, for Silas and Leah at the other two services, but it's just so cool to, to be able to see them and to uh, pray for them in this way. If this is your first time here, uh, whether you're here to, to support a family member or, or for whatever reason, thank you so much for deciding to invest some of your morning with us. This is a special weekend at New Life. It's our fifth weekend where we invite everyone from the New Life Galaxy, all of our kids, to join us in worship. So can we give a round of applause to our New Life kids from the Galaxy that are here worshiping alongside us? Thank you for for being with us right now. We are in part four of our series called Mountain Monologues. What we're doing is we're looking at the Sermon on the Mount. It's one of Jesus' most important teachings On a hill in Israel, almost 2,000 years ago, Jesus was there in front of a large crowd, and he talked to the crowd, but specifically he was training up some disciples on how to live a life with Jesus. And you can find the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And so far in this series, we have talked about the Beatitudes, what we must become as followers of Jesus. We've also talked about salt and light and how we are to impact the world around us. And last week, Pastor Chris, our lead pastor, talked about how Jesus interpreted the laws and made them applicable for us and helped us understand how do we apply the laws to our lives. In his message, Pastor Chris said this, when it comes to the law, Jesus always expects more and not less. He always expects more and not less. Make no mistake, when Jesus asked us to lay down our lives for him, he means it. He wants us to give everything, our whole control, our whole lives over to him. And when we do that, when we die to ourselves and give our lives over to him, he will raise our lives into new beings. He'll fill us with his Holy Spirit and create in us a new creation so we can live with Jesus. C.S. Lewis, one of the, the great writers of Christian thought in the book Mere Christianity, said it this way, nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. What it's saying is we must leave behind our old desires, our old lives. We must allow them to be sacrificed to God. And when we do that, he'll raise them to new life and he'll give us a new heart, a new being. He'll help us to know who we were created to be and he'll form us into his son. And when we give our lives over to him, he won't stop. He'll take them and he will mold and he'll shape and he'll make us into the image of Jesus Christ himself. God will make us into his children. I know this because it's happened in my life. And mind you, I'm not done with this process, but I have seen it take place. It's actually the biggest reason I believe in Jesus Christ today. There's a lot of evidence that points to God being real. There's there's a world around us that we look around, and when we start to see nature and, and creation, we can go, all right, something amazing is happening here. And I believe all of it points to the fact that there is a God of the universe. I mean, you look at it, and scientists have even said that they have, have decided over years of thought and speculation that the universe has come from one single point. And that universe is continuing to expand from that point, which all focuses on the truth that something outside of time and space created all that we have. There's also the evidence that tells us that if 
anything regarding oxygen or carbon dioxide or gravity change just a smidge, we wouldn't be able to exist. We wouldn't be able to live. We have this finely tuned universe and that helps me understand and believe that God is real. There's a lot of evidence that also points to Jesus being the son of God. There were 300 prophecies in the Old Testament about Jesus that he fulfilled. 29 of them Jesus fulfilled in a single day. There's also the truth about his disciples. There's these men that were scattered and were scared once Jesus died. They believed that they had lost, that they weren't right. They backed the wrong horse. But all of a sudden, they were changed. And they went around telling everyone, Jesus has been risen from the dead. They even said that till their deaths, where most of them died in horrible ways, proclaiming Jesus. Even Jesus' brother James did the same thing. And all of that points to Jesus being the Son of God. There's more. There's more evidence. But those are the things that, that stick out to me that help me understand and help me believe in, in Jesus and who he said he is. But the biggest part of the evidence that I've experienced in my life is, is really in my own heart, where Jesus took my heart and gave me a new one. Specifically, I've seen this in the area of anger. I grew up as a very angry kid, always getting in fights. I have two siblings, and it's really easy to get angry with your siblings. There was times in my house where I would throw things and break them. I remember a lamp just taking it and, and shattering it. There was these two holes in the wall at my dad's house that are now patched, and they're there because I grabbed a chair. One day I was in the room by myself just angry and threw the chair at the wall. There's one time I came to dinner and my sister was sitting in my seat and oh, I was so mad at that for some reason. I don't know why, but I was so mad. That was my seat. So what did I do is very maturely, I grabbed my plate and I sat on her head and I ate dinner that way. I was just angry at my little, poor little sister, poor Crystal. I was, I was just so mad. I took that anger and brought it to school and I got in fights. There's one time someone said something bad about my mom and normally it's okay to be a little angry about that. But in my response was to just go way above. I grabbed a pencil and stabbed him in the back. Not something you should do. Uh, funny thing about that, that's not really funny, but funny thing about that is I, uh, I got in trouble, of course. Well, you should get in trouble for that. That's not a good thing to do. And my teacher was like, you got to go to the principal's office. You're going to be suspended. And, and I told him what happened. I said, he said this about my mom and I was just reacting. And then my teacher, after I argued with him for a while, was exasperated. He said, fine, just walk around the building a few times and I'll tell everyone else that you're in the principal's office. And I was like, deal. And so I kind of got out of it, but I shouldn't have because it was bad. And eventually after getting in trouble so many times, my parents put me into anger therapy as a young teen. And although that was a little bit helpful, it didn't change me. What changed me was coming to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, where I gave my life over to him. I sacrificed my life to him, my, my, my thoughts, everything. I let them die in front of Jesus so that he could raise me into a new person. And he's still working on me today. I'm not a finished product. There's still that time where the old man is trying to fight back and gain control. Actually, this week after I wrote this message, I found it over and over. I felt the enemy was trying to like get me angry over and over and over. But Jesus continued just to be good as he is good. And he continues to shape and mold me into who he's created me to be. And he wants to do that for all of us. He wants to take our lives and bring them into new beings, new creations. And on that mount, on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talked about our hearts and our actions and what it looks like to live lives that are fully dedicated, that are new, that are the way that God created us to live. And so for the next few weeks in this series, we're going to be talking about different things that Jesus asked us not only to do, but to feel in our hearts and to live out in our lives. And the first one we're going to talk about, this is why I share that story, is we're going to talk about anger. 
And now anger might not be something you deal with on an everyday basis, but anger is something that you have faced. Whether you've been mad or someone's been mad at you, most likely both of those have occurred in our lives. So when Jesus talks about anger, it's something that we all can apply to us. So we're going to start in Matthew 5, verse 21. If you want to open it up in a Bible or Bible app, it'll be on the screens as well. Also, we have our Mountain Monologues booklets, and we're on page 15. If you don't have one, but you'd like one, you can raise your hand and someone will be around to give you one. Before we dive into Matthew 5, 21, would you please pray with me? Dear God, I thank you for being good. I thank you for creating us, for loving us and for giving us the opportunity to come to you to be made new. I pray that you'll use this time to speak to us. Get me out of the way and allow it just to be your voice speaking to us. I pray that you'll speak directly through your word and challenge us and help shape us into who you've created us to be. We love you and we thank you and pray this all in your son Jesus' name, amen. So Matthew 5, 21, Jesus said this. You have heard that it was said to the ancients, you shall not murder. And whoever commits murder will be liable to judgment. When Jesus said, you have heard that it was said to the ancients, what he was reminding them of is that long before Jesus was on this mountain, God gave the Ten Commandments to the Jewish people. The Jewish people that were present, and most of them probably were Jewish people, would have heard this and understood, oh, he's talking about the Ten Commandments, these ten laws that God gave to his people to help govern their actions. And when he brought up the commandment of murder, they would have understood, okay, one of the commandments was do not murder. And the people, I would assume in the crowd, are probably thinking, or were probably thinking, oh, cool, The murder one. I haven't murdered anyone. This is what I'm actually pretty good at, not murdering people. Murder anyone lately? Murder? No? Sweet. We're pretty good at this. But then Jesus turns it on its head and makes it applicable to all of us. He really shares the intent of this law. Jesus continues in 522. But I myself myself say to you all that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. And whoever shall say to his brother, Raka, will be liable to the Sanhedrin. And whoever shall say, Fool, will be liable to the hell, literally, Gehenna, a fire. When Jesus started and he said, But I myself say, we're going to see that a few more times in the Sermon on the Mount. When he said that, he was talking with authority, which is a big deal. He's talked about the Sanhedrin in here, and the Sanhedrin was a governing body for the Jewish people. And if you were a rabbi at that time and you wanted to interpret God's word a certain way that maybe wasn't the the mainstream way that everyone believed, then you would go to the Sanhedrin and you'd say, I'm interpreting it this way. Can you agree with me? They were the lawmakers. They They would talk about it and eventually they might say yes or no. And then if they said yes, you can go and say, all right, we as a Jewish community, the Sanhedrin has approved this. We believe this is what God's word is saying. But Jesus didn't do that. He said, I myself say. And he did that because he did not need to go to the Sanhedrin to understand what God was saying. He is God. And so he didn't have to go and get it approved by anyone. He and the Father and the Spirit were all together when they wrote these Ten Commandments. So Jesus knows the intent. He knew why this was written, and he wanted us to understand it. And it's important for us to understand why God wrote it, because if we don't, we'll just see the outward expression of the law instead of the true intent that God has for us. You see, Jesus said, if our hearts are murderous with anger, we'll face the same judgment as a murderer. If our hearts are murderous with anger, we face 
that same judgment. He's getting into that intent because God wants our hearts. Jesus wants our hearts. He wants our whole lives. And he says, don't be angry in your heart. In the same way that we don't want you to, to murder someone, don't have rage in your heart against your brother and sister. It's not enough to just not kill. You must also not hate and not harbor that anger towards other people. And then Jesus said, and it's not enough to not only not feel that, but we also must not express that with our words and with our insults. I don't know if you've ever heard the phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I heard that a lot growing up, and it is a lie. It's just not true. I've had a couple broken bones in my life, not too many. My, my baby toe broke a couple times. I don't know if that's the official medical term for that toe, but my baby toe broke a couple times, and my nose broke one time playing football. My wife still makes fun of me for having a nose job, but it's not like it was plastic surgery to make my nose look better. You wouldn't want to make it this big if you uh, got it for cosmetic purposes. It was because I couldn't breathe, but I've had broken bones, but they don't affect me every day. They don't affect me still. But words that people have spoken to me in insults and out of anger and rage, even years and years ago, still have an impact on my life. And Jesus knew the power that words have. And so he said, don't let that anger turn into insults. And then he gave some very practical advice. So don't call anyone Raka. Now, we probably don't call anyone Raka nowadays, but it was a term that simply meant empty-headed. So he's like, don't make fun of people. And then he said, don't call someone a fool and then he really upped it. He said, if you call someone a fool, then you are going to face judgment in the Gehenna of hell. The Gehenna was the valley of Hinnom. It was to the south of uh, Jerusalem in, or in southern Jerusalem. And it was a place where years before Jesus walked on this earth, that children were sacrificed by fire in this valley. And so naturally, over years, once that stopped, people referred to it as a metaphor for eternal judgment and for hell. People at that time would have heard that and probably been shocked. You're using the Hinnon Valley right now. You're talking about Gehenna. It's that serious. And Jesus wanted us to know that it was that serious, that our words have power, that anger in our hearts can negatively affect people. It's the same kind of thing that King Solomon, the wisest person outside of Jesus to ever live, what he said about words. He wrote this, and it's in the book of Proverbs 18, 21. The tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences, whether death or life. And Jesus wanted us to understand how serious it is that we use our words to bring life and not death. One time Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And he said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus is pointing out clearly that once we have anger in our hearts, if it's towards God, we're violating that commandment. And if it's towards other people, we're violating that commandment as well. So he's helping us to, to realize that it's not enough just to have self-control. We also have to have thought control. We got to get it out of our hearts and our words. You see, God wants neither our words nor our hearts to be filled with anger. Our words nor our hearts. Because when we're angry with someone else, it's kind of like we're drinking poison and expecting that person to die. They're not going to die. They're not going to be affected. Most of the time, they don't even know about it, but we're affected by it. In fact, whenever we harbor that hate and we're drinking that, that poison of hate, it's going to move us away from who God created us to be, and it will slowly destroy us. 
It'll continue to hurt and negatively impact us. So Jesus has given us this warning to help us to live the life that he's designed for us to live without that weight on our hearts. It's gonna destroy us. And when we use our words, it's gonna destroy other people as well. We must love one another. Jesus' disciple John made it very clear. He said this, if someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? See, we're hypocrites if we claim to love God, but do not love one another. Someone after the first service talked about how hard it was for them to forgive someone, and, and I get that. I mean, God gets that as well. And so in these situations, what do we do? We gotta go to God and allow his power to take over our lives. In the book, Sit, Walk, Stand, Watchman Nee talked about how Jesus did tell us these hard things that are harder than they used to be. And he told us them because he knew that once Jesus died and rose again, he would live with, in us and with us. So we not only do this in our own strength, but we get to do this in the strength of Jesus. And so there are times where we have this hate in our hearts and we have to go to God and simply say, I can't do it. I can't forgive them. I can't let it go. I'm angry at them. I need you to do it. And he will do it to us. We must invest that time with God. And when we do, it will show up in our actions and how we treat other people. You see, our attitude towards others reflects our relationship with God more time we're investing with God, the more that's gonna show up by the way that we're loving people and able to forgive them. The more time we're with God, it'll help us to continue to draw it near to him. And one of the purposes that Jesus gave this commandment at the very beginning with God and the 10 commandments and also why he brought it up right now is this, and it's our take home point. See, anger keeps us from developing a life that honors and pleases God. Our take-home points to one point this message is all about, and anger keeps us from developing a life that honors and pleases God. And because when we have this hate in our lives and we're holding these grudges, it negatively impacts our relationship with God and one another, Jesus gave us some very practical advice and how to deal with this. He talks about doing it quickly and doing it person to person. He gives this story to the people that they would have understood back then, and I think we can still apply to our lives today. I know we can. In Matthew 5, 23 through 26, which is the last part of the Sermon on the Mount that we're reading today, Jesus said this. So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. When you are on the way to court with your adversary, settle your differences quickly. Otherwise, your accuser may hand you over to the judge who will hand you over to an officer and will be thrown into prison. And you will be thrown into prison. And if that happens, you surely won't be free again until you've paid the last penny. In Jesus' day, if you were thrown into jail for some reason and had to pay a debt, you could not work to gain enough money to pay off that debt. You just couldn't do it. There was no jobs for you to have in prison. So Jesus was saying, this is something that you need to get done soon. You see, if someone didn't pay the debt for you, you eventually would die in prison, which is a great um, example or foreshadowing of what Jesus did on the cross for us. 
while we're still sinners, he died for us so that we could have new life and we could be freed from the debt that we owe for sin and we can come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And Jesus was saying in this moment that it's important to deal with it right away. You see, until we let go of a grudge, we can't please God fully in our lives. We just can't do it. When we're holding on to that, we're making that more important than what God has commanded us to do by letting it go and forgiving someone. So what do we do? Because this is difficult. We can't do this on our own. We need to go to God first. We got to lay it down. What else can we do? Well, since this is such a big issue that we kind of know about, you also can look out at media and know that it's something that is not just us, but it's the world at large. It's cool because you can even go to like children's TV and see that there's episodes and children's TV shows that talk about anger. I watched the first one whenever Ezra was first born. So this is almost five years ago, May 15th. 2018, we're in the hospital, and the morning after he was born, we were watching TV. The night before, we were watching the Cleveland Cavaliers, I think win a playoff game. I am not exactly sure, but it was kind of distracted, but I think we won. And then the morning after, we were watching TV, and we were flipping around and found Daniel Tiger, so we put it on, and I I hold true to the fact that we were trying to, like, raise our kid up even good in that moment, not knowing, I didn't know that he couldn't see the TV or understand a single word that was happening. My wife says, no, that was just the only good thing on TV. Either way. Um, we were watching Daniel Tiger. And maybe you've watched it too. Um, maybe because you have kids or you are a kid or because you just really have a soft spot for Mr. Rogers. I don't know. But he has a couple episodes about anger. One of them you might have heard of before. It goes, um, when you feel so mad that you want to roar, take a deep breath and count to... Oh, wow, you're so good. Uh, either you know rhyming or you knew what that was going to be. Either way, I don't really like that song. I'll just be honest. No offense, Dana Tiger, but I've been mad a lot in my life and counting has never helped. Uh, in those moments, I don't want to count. I just want to be angry. So the one I do like, though, was the one we watched that day. And Daniel Tiger saying this, mad, mad, mad. It helps to say I'm mad. Very simple. Mad, mad, mad. It helps to say I'm mad. So I actually went and I looked up the clip of this video. I was going to show it to you. I decided not to because the video is not very good. They don't really apply this. There's a scene where Daniel Tiger is eating ice cream and then it falls off his cone and then he like stomps on it and then his mom gives him her ice cream. And I'm like, what? Like, that's not a good lesson. He just pouted it and you gave him more ice cream. Like, that, this, he didn't even talk about it. The song says talk about it. It helps to say I'm mad. Don't just stomp on ice cream and then get free ice cream. So I don't want to show it because I don't want that to negatively influence you. But the premise of the song is good. It is a positive one. It does help to talk about our anger when we're mad. It helps us to, to voice it. Who do we voice it with? Well, first we can voice it with God. We can go to him and tell them that we're mad. If we're mad at him, he can take it. He has big enough shoulders to handle anything we throw at him. So let's go to God and ask his wisdom. Who else do we talk to? We can talk to people that we trust, that live this life with God, that can positively help us understand the truth and love. So we can talk to our parents, we can talk to our small group leaders, we can talk to our accountability partners, we can get advice and clarity. But eventually we need to go to the person that we've wronged or who has wronged us. This is what Jesus was talking about. And Jesus even said it was so important that you got to get out of the sacrificial line in order to do this. Now, I've never been in a sacrificial line. You might have. I've never been there. But I have been in other lines before. I've been in lines at like amusement parks, Idlewild or Kennywood or Disney World. And while you're in line, the last thing you want to do is get out of line. Because you know if you get out of line that everyone's going to kind of silently cheer and they're all going to move up and no one's going to hold your place. 
But Jesus was saying, this is that important that you got to get out of line. You got to go and deal with this right now so that doesn't continue to hurt your heart and to hurt your relationship with God and also to hurt them if they know of this or they've been hurt by you. So what do we do? Well, if we have been in that situation, we have to understand that broken relationships hurt our hearts and keep us from honoring and pleasing God. We have to know that there is a severity to what we're doing and there is a reason why God tells us that we must reconcile. I got to experience this a few years ago. I had a friend, well, still have a friend. We're still close friends. His name is Mark. And, and for about six months, we weren't talking. We weren't talking because there was some stupid fight over a girl and, and we, we weren't talking. But one day I got a call from him. I was on a date. It was my second date. The first date with uh, Natasha was her name. Uh, I suppose still is her name. Uh, Natasha and I went to uh, Eaton Park first. Had grilled stickies out of the mode. Pretty good. And then afterwards, uh, the second date was uh, watching a movie at her house. And this is where I received that phone call. So I'm sitting there watching on the couch. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, I got to take this phone call, which is like not the good move on a date, whatever. Um, so I took the phone call and, and we reconciled. And my heart felt so much lighter. We were able to, to talk and to forgive one another and come back into this relationship and then decided to, to meet for lunch the next day. And then I went back to my date and then soon found out that not only was it our second date, it was going to be our last date, which what are you going to do? Um, there's worse things that, that can lose that. It was worth it to have that be my last date so that we could reconcile because it's that important. This is what Jesus talked about. And so what do we do? If we were that person that has been wronged, we need to go humbly and be ready to forgive. I know that sounds difficult, but this is what Jesus does to us and what he calls us to do to other people. Paul said to this to the church in Colossae, he said, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. We must be ready to forgive to have that as something that we practice and live out. The early church actually practiced this. It was, it's really cool. I was reading about it last week. There was this time in the service for the early church where right before they would do the Lord's Supper, where they would eat the bread and, and drink from the cup, they would actually pause the service and then people would go and fix relationships that were broken. And then they'd come back together and they'd continue worshiping. They applied what Jesus said. We can do the same thing. We can examine our hearts right now and say, Jesus, where in my life have I held a grudge? Am I holding a grudge right now? Who have I offended? Who do I need to go and, and apologize to? Or who has offended me that I need to go and, and say, hey, you offended me. And, and we have that reconciliation and we're ready to forgive. So if we were wronged, we go humbly and we ask for that uh, we're, we're ready to forgive. If we have wronged someone, we also go humbly, but we ask for the forgiveness. James, the brother of Jesus, said it this way. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. It's hard, but it brings about healing in our hearts. When we go and we ask for this forgiveness and they give it to us, it relieves our heart, but it also draws us closer to God. And in all of this, we have to have that understanding that Paul said to the church in Colossae, where it says, make allowance for each other's wrongs. Because in either situation, while we are wronged or they're wronged, we must know that we're people and we mess up. 
all of us do. We will probably today, everyone you love will probably mess up at some point in some way today. But here's the good news. Jesus offers us forgiveness every time we mess up and he's called us to do the same thing as well. So we offer forgiveness and we ask for forgiveness as well. Both times we do it humbly. What else can we do? Well, we can prevent anger from happening in the first place. James talked about this as well. He said, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. Pastor Chris has helped me a lot in this area. He's talked about how whenever you go into a situation and someone's angry, you listen, you ask questions, you try to understand where they're coming from. And you can still disagree, but we can disagree in love. And this is what James is talking about. We are quick to listen and slow to speak, slow to get angry. Pastor Chris has often said, if you're right, you pound the facts, not the table. And so you can go into a situation knowing that someone might be mad at you or whatever, and they might be completely wrong. But even in those situations, we can come with love and we can disagree with the truth and love, both of those, and we can be slow to anger. We can listen to what James said and please God by doing that as well. The other thing that James said that I want to talk about a brief moment before we end today is he talked about how human anger does not please God. What begs the question, what is the other kind of anger? And so we have human anger, but there's also God's anger. There's righteous anger. And in God's word, it often talks about how he was righteously angry against sin. He hates sin. Jesus was even angry, and Jesus never sinned. So it teaches us that anger in itself is not a sin. But when it's used in the wrong way, and when we're angry about the wrong things, it does turn into sin. We see Jesus being angry about a certain situation as recorded in the book of Mark. It says this, Jesus went to the synagogue again and noticed a man with a deformed hand. Since it was a Sabbath, Jesus' enemies watched him closely. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the deformed hand, come and stand in front of everyone. Then he turned to his critics and asked, does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save life or to destroy it? But they wouldn't answer him. He looked around at them angrily and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. Then he said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand and it was restored. Jesus was angry at the sin that was committed. And he gives us an example, God does throughout his word, that it's not a sin to notice that something is wrong. It's not a sin to notice that something's not right. It's just not but it is a sin to know what to do and not to do anything about it. God has given us spirits that call out to his heart. And whenever we become new people in Jesus, we start to align with his heart. And the more we know about Jesus, the more there are things that should, and I would even argue must, make us upset with a godly injustice, with a godly anger, dissatisfaction in our lives. There are things where they're happening against people and they're committed in sin, whether there's things like abuse or racism or abortion that must get us angry because they're against God's heart. But in those situations, we don't let the anger fester. We don't let it take over our lives. Instead, what we do is we go to God and say, first, God, is this righteous anger or is this just me? 
If it's just me, then God's asking us to ask forgiveness, to leave it, and to maybe reconcile with someone. Because there are things that we get angry about, but are really just our preferences. There's not anything that God wants us to get angry about. In those situations, we, we let go. But if it is righteous anger, then we say, all right, God, what do you want me to do about it? You've obviously given me a heart that's getting wrought up for this under, under you and for you. What do I do about it? And he will direct us. His word directs us. We can go to spiritual leaders that we have, accountability partners. We can talk to people and say, what are the steps that I can take to eradicate this evil from happening? Because it's against God's heart and it's bringing me into this time of righteous anger. And doing so will please God. And this is the heart of the whole thing we're talking about. When we harbor anger for the wrong reasons for people, it does not please God. It pushes us away from God. So he's asked us to remove that from our lives and to reconcile with people. If we've angered someone, if we've wronged someone, if we have a disagreement in those ways, let's go to them humbly and let's ask for forgiveness. And if someone's wronged us, let's go to them as well and and point that out, but in love, being ready to forgive them also. And we do those things because Jesus commanded us to, because he wants us to live the best life that we can live. And we could do that through today's next step, which says, I'll forgive someone I'm angry with this week. So who is it? Who is it that you need to forgive this week or need to reconcile with? If there's someone that God's bringing to your heart and mind right now, don't wait, go and do it. Call someone, go visit them, talk to them, reconcile. It will not only please God, but it will help your heart as well. And they or you or both will get to experience the forgiveness that God offers to us. If you're here today and you've never experienced the the forgiveness that God has for you, he loves you, created you, died and rose again for you so that you could be joined with him, that he can raise you from the dead to bring you into a new life, to give you a new heart. Here at New Life, we say coming to Jesus as Lord and Savior is as simple as A, B, C. A, meaning first we admit we admit that we're sinners and that we mess up. We talked about earlier, we're all going to mess up at some point. We fall short of God's perfect standard because he doesn't mess up. He is perfect. Then we believe. We believe in Jesus as Lord, as owner, as God, as master and savior, our rescuer from sin and death. Praise God. And then we confess those sins to God and we commit to living a life not by ourselves, but through the power of the Holy Spirit. So right now, we're gonna have a time of prayer. And if you've never trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior, I'd encourage you to pray this prayer alongside me, but make it your own. God's here. He's in the building. He wants to talk with you. He wants to bring you into his family. He wants to make you one of his children. So right now, we're gonna pray and I encourage you to, to, again, if you've never done it, to make it your own words and your own heart and your mind. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for bringing us here right now. I pray for anyone in here that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, that you will hear this prayer. I know you will. A prayer saying, dear God, I believe you are the one true God. I believe your son Jesus came, died, and rose again for me and my sins. Forgive me of those sins. I'm admitting to you right now that I am a sinner and I fall short Please forgive me, make me new, make me whole. Holy Spirit, fill me and guide me today and every day. We pray this in Jesus' name. And dear God, I pray for all of us. Right now, bring to our hearts the people in our lives that you want us to reconcile with. Give us the ability and the courage to, conf- to, to talk to them. Give us the ability to forgive them, the same ability that you have. And when there's those people in our lives that we're just 
we can't try enough to forgive them, I pray that you will just do it for us. Come into our hearts, change our hearts, move us to who you want us to be. We know that you're still doing that today. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.